You're listening to Healing Conversations, a podcast full of healing stories for everyone. Brought to you by One Mission, a childhood cancer charity who does whatever it takes to get kids through cancer treatment. To learn more about me, Ashley Hasiotis, visit theunspokenbook.com. And to learn more about One Mission, visit onemission.org. That's O-N-E-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.org. In season two, you'll hear from so many amazing people on topics that hit home for everyone, from transgender issues, adoption, domestic violence, how men heal, childhood cancer, chronic pain, and so much more. You will be filled with hope for your own healing journey after listening to these stories. Let's dig in. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Ashley Hasiotis, and I'm so excited to be bringing you season two of the One Mission podcast. Season two is all about stories of hope and inspiration for healing. And this season, I am going to be interviewing people from all walks of life who have gone through pretty much everything that you can imagine. And they're going to share their stories of hope and inspiration for everybody. So I'm so excited to introduce my first guest, Kristen Benjamin to the One Mission Podcast. So welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. I think I know a little bit about your story. I have been following you guys for a while now. Um, your daughter Paisley is adorable. Thank and you. I I know you have more than that that's part of your fibers of being and everything that you've gone through. So, you know, briefly describe and just tell the viewers, like, what's your story? Briefly. I mean, my story is pretty lengthy, but I can I can sum it down for you guys. So my daughter at the time was three years old and kind of presented with just bruises around her body, like nothing really that I thought was abnormal for a three-year-old, especially just like being an activist as she was and everything. Kind of just got a little bit more concerned with it, took her to the doctors. Our doctors did some blood work, luckily, as fast as they did, it pretty much, I guess, saved her life because had it been any longer, it could have been taking over her body even more. They had sent her to the ER to get some more blood work done, and then they ended up actually transferring us to Tufts Floating in Boston. So her diagnosis came on pretty quick. I mean, they say we we estimated we caught it within less than a month of her having it, which was great. It was just like, oh, I mean, it could be life-saving because it had gone longer and stuff. Sent us there. So we were admitted to Tufts Floating right away. We spent, they told us to pack a bag for an overnight trip. And we ended up there for 44 days for her induction treatment. So while we were in the hospital, she um, started her chemo on October 10th, 2018, Fast forward to a week later, she woke up septic that morning, October 17th. Um, her entire body was just like excruciating pain. Like you couldn't touch her hand. She'd scream. You couldn't touch anything. She was just in so much pain. Fast forward to a couple hours into that day, her father, we found, um, passed away on the same day that she went septic. So I am in the room with her, her hospital room, and the doctor that was going to operate to take her port out is coming in. Meanwhile, detectives are pulling me into a different room because he passed away at the hospital. So it was just like a big whirlwind of like everything happening on October 17th. So like that day will never go unforgotten. And fast forward to a little while later, Wait, she... Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I gotta take a break there because I just, the viewers need to really understand the impact of that moment for you. And so a lot of the viewers may not understand what septic is. So basically Paisley's body started to shut down. Yes. And so she was on the verge 
of death, really. Oh, they told me to call, they basically told me to call my family in. Like my entire family was rushing in from everywhere that they were and stuff. And like, well, we had to prop her up with pillows because she couldn't like even move her body like this at all or anything. It was awful. So she ended up having pseudomonas, which was a bacterial infection that came in through anywhere. Actually, it was like, it could be come through any little tiny spot on her body. Mm -hmm. It caused golf ball size bumps to come from the inside of her body out. So on the outside, it just appeared as just a lump of skin. So she ended up having to get surgery to get her port taken out because the antibiotics weren't working because it was they were leaching onto her port and it couldn't take away from that. Just, exactly, on her, in the, on her port. So they took her port out right away, which ended up completely curing her, which was amazing. I mean, she came out of the surgery into the PICU, the pediatric intensive care unit, asking for pizza. So I mean, she went from not being able to like lift a finger to asking for pizza and everything. I was like, I mean, it was the same. It was within hours. I mean, I, I swear one of them had to go that day, basically. And so Mike went so that Paisley could still say be here today, actually. So what an abs, I mean, like you can't even make that up no yeah I mean I mean people that this is that that's what I mean right when people say her story is just so crazy so Mike passes away how how are you even functioning how are you even dealing with this it was like honestly I I, and I say this I say this always that I was never even able to grieve it because I was always so focused on Paisley and getting her better that I was never able to actually even like process his death even all the way, like we didn't get to have his funeral until well over a month after he passed away because we were still admitted in the hospital. Right when Paisley got sick, like that was my only focus. And I mean, she just had a lot of things like that after that, that was still like keeping her in the hospital. So we didn't really get to even grieve it, which is crazy as it sounds. But I mean, that was the only way we could process it was just keep focusing on Paisley and keep going and stuff too. Yeah, yeah that's all. It sounds like you were in fight or flight, the good old I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But my mentally, I kept saying like I knew someone had to. I mean, like they, like Paisley was bad, 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 bad condition. So we were all like fearing for her life. Yeah, I bet you were. We have a similar story in that Nicholas became septic as well, had to take the port out 2am call, you know, everyone's gathering around. So I can empathize with you on that. So first of all, let's just tell everybody, how is Paisley doing today? She's doing great. She's doing amazing. She's doing cheerleading. She's doing dance. She's doing gymnastics. She's doing everything that a little seven-year-old girl should be doing. And she is thriving. She has tons of friends. She has zero long-term side effects as of now, knock on wood, um, from any of the chemos or anything like that. Uh, She's doing amazing. That's amazing. So as you, I'll, I'll, I'll take one of your phrases that you keep using. So fast forward. Okay. So we lay Mike to rest. Yeah. We come home. And Paisley's recovering. Yeah. When do you start recovering? Oh gosh, maybe, maybe when she hit maintenance, maybe when like that front line of our treatment was over, which was about just under a year. I want to say 10 or 11 months with the whole front line took place. But at that time, front line was just, we were in the hospital for like a week here, a week there, a week here, overnight there. Just like, it was never like a slowdown period or of any sort. When she hit maintenance, she had a lot of troubles throughout her front line as well. She ended up going into anaphylaxis due to one of her chemos as well. So she ended up having another picky stay from that. So she definitely didn't have an easy frontline treatment. When she got to maintenance, it got a little bit more easy for her. I mean, she had smaller hiccups. She ended up having super low blood sugars due to one of her chemos and stuff like that. So a couple more emissions throughout maintenance, but nothing life-threatening like it was in um, the frontline for her. So maintenance, I feel like we were able to settle down a little bit more. And I mean, we got to go to Florida one time when she was in maintenance and things like that. I would say probably maintenance is where we kind of tried to gather our life back to normal and stuff. 
Yeah, totally. Isn't it crazy how resilient kids are? They are like Paisley would go get chemo. She'd do everything. She'd get steroids. She'd get a spinal and she'd be wanting to go to like play with her friends that afternoon and stuff like that. She's crazy. She was never wanted to stop. It's amazing. It shows you how resilient they're going to be for the rest of their lives. She had to do the uh, methotrexate IV one. So it takes days and you know, you don't know how long it's going to take. It could take four days. It could take seven days. She ended up passing it in four days, luckily one time. And the cops for kids for cancer invited her on their St. Patrick's Day float. And we got discharged from the hospital, I want to say 9am and we we're at the parade at 10am after she just did all that all morning. She wanted to go. She did not want to go home. She, she we didn't even have any of this stuff because I didn't think she'd get out in time. So we didn't have any, she's in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, pink pants, pink jacket, like all this whole pink little bubble she is and stuff, but she had a ball. She loved it. That's amazing. You know, I'm sure that you get asked a lot to help out a fellow cancer mom. You're probably the magnet. Well, like I became the magnet, like, oh, hey, my friend so-and-so got diagnosed. Can you talk to them? Exactly. That's a burden and a curse. I'm sure you agree. But what do you give these families now that you're many years past? And, you know, you're, you know, having Mike pass at that beginning stage, ironically enough, it's I've heard this before, not necessarily a spouse or a partner, but parents, you know, the grandparent or something like that. And so tell us a little bit about like, what would you give to people for advice? You know, how looking back, I know that you were probably in fight or flight for a long time, but how did you start putting one foot in front of the other? Right. So my advice that I always give people is I try to give them like what to expect, because honestly, when I went in there, when the when her doctor called me with like the bruise results and stuff, telling me that she had low platelets, I had I had no idea what platelets were. I was calling them plates. I was calling them pallets and stuff like that. So I went into all of this with no knowledge of any of this oncology. Like I barely even knew what oncology meant and stuff. So I I just try to give them like, okay, this is kind of like what you'll expect for the treatment plan. This is how long you'll be in this. Because the doctors don't like to tell you that because things change all the time. So they don't want to commit to timelines and stuff like that. Not that I'm telling them that this is exactly what's going to happen, but this is what you could expect to happen given you have no hiccups and things like that. I try to give them a lot of the financial resources that were provided to me because a lot of them don't have that. Different social workers I found at different hospitals don't necessarily give them the information like I got at Tufts either. I mean, Tufts is a lot smaller of a hospital, so we were able to um, communicate with them a lot easier. So we're at the Jimmy Fennick Clinic now, which I love the Jimmy Fennick Clinic, but I could definitely see, and um, the social workers there are amazing too, but I could just definitely see it was harder to get a hold of the information like that and stuff like that too. So unless it's, unless like the little ones, are, I mean, the bigger ones rather are provided to you, the little ones kind of go under the radar. In some of those, I found out about myself and the social worker never even put them out there and stuff too. So I've definitely just tried tried to give them the resources that I've had, that I've utilized, that people have provided to me and stuff, just as like a a little outlet for them, especially if like, you know, I mean, someone has to stop working and stuff like that when you're going through all that. So yeah, we'll put those resources, we'll get them from you and we'll list them in the show notes because I think that would be really important for people who to, you know, to be able to access as well. So you're giving them those tactical pieces of advice, right? The emotional aspect, you know, how do they get acclimated to their new normal? I know it's like, that's like such a hard question to answer because for me, you you don't have a choice. You know what I mean? So I I never really like took it upon as like 
poor me, poor us, poor Paisley. Like, of course, poor Paisley, but like, I never played that on her. I never let her play that role because I knew that she could keep doing stuff that she wanted to be doing and like continue living her life. Honestly, I never put her in a bubble. When she was above 500 ANC, I would let her go play with her friends. I would let her go to school. I would let her continue her dancing and stuff like that. She, everyone was always like, oh my God, you guys, your life didn't stop just because she had cancer. And I'm like, I didn't want her to miss her third, fourth and fifth year of life because she had cancer. Like I I didn't find it to be fair. So if I could give anyone advice, it's just to keep continuing to live your life. I mean, if she had an ANC of 300, I wasn't taking her to the mall during December, but if she had an ANC of 750 and it was a gorgeous July day out, let's go to the park you know, like, let's do things like that and stuff. So I, I let her live her life as best as we can continue doing so. And honestly, I think it worked out because she didn't miss out on anything. She doesn't, she's not afraid to do anything now because she, you know, she's still learned and developed the whole entire time that a regular three and four and five year old should have honestly, probably just a little bit more mature, just having more conversations with adults and stuff like that. Ultimately, she was able to continue living like a normal third, three, four, and five-year-old, which was my main goal from the start and which was one of the best advice I could give to anybody. Totally. I mean, hallelujah. I unfortunately didn't do that. And I can see a huge benefit to that. You know, I think we all come with our own kind of baggage, if you will, and likely the trauma of having a sick child isn't typically the first trauma that we've endured in our lives. But for me, I shut down. I lived in fear after Nicholas was diagnosed and I was afraid to do a lot of things. So for me, that really resonates with me. And what a gift um, I think that you gave both of you. So not only do you have a lot of memories, but she has a lot of experiences. So I, I hear that, that really, that really feels good for me. I have pictures of her with her little bald head in Martha's Vineyard at every beach you could ever imagine from here to Maine. I mean, we just did everything like, you know, just took like, I, she wore the rash guard bathing suit so she couldn't get sunburned because of the medicine that she was on and stuff like that. But ultimately we still just continued to live our lives just as long as it wasn't January and she had an ANC above a certain degree and I was happy with it. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're remarried and have a new baby. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, I have a new baby and another one on the way, actually. Oh my gosh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. That's you awesome. Know. Yeah. So another little girl on the way. And then I have a little five-month-old baby too. Five-month-old little girl. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, that's um that's a lesson in and of itself, right? right? How do we have more children, which I did as well, but how do you have more children? or do anything normal after uh, childhood cancer, right? How do you trust? Right. How do you know that it's not going to happen again? Well, which we don't. that was my biggest thing too, is with this baby, my baby that I have right now, I had called the doctor before she was even born because I'm like, now I'm all worried about vaccines and now I'm all worried about this and all about what did I give her the wrong food and stuff like that. And he's like, he's like, you have sick baby syndrome. He said, he's like, you think that your baby's going to be sick because, because, because was sick. And I was like, uh, yeah, basically, I'm like, like, what did I do wrong? He's like, you did nothing wrong. He's like, nothing that you did, nothing caused this. You now you're overthinking everything because you don't want this baby to be sick because Paisley was sick. And I'm like, when he put it all in black and white like that, I was like, oh, you're right. You know, like I'm overthinking everything and stuff. I mean, I've definitely made changes with this baby. I've like, I'm making your own baby food now and stuff like that. I'm definitely doing a lot more research. I mean, I'm pro-vax, she's vaccinated and everything like that, but I'm definitely just doing a lot more research into everything that I'm giving to her prior to giving it to her, just because the generation we're in today anyways. I mean, half the stuff that I'm eating is crap and stuff too. So totally, totally. Yeah. But I mean it's definitely 
been an eye open or having another baby after having Paisley be sick too, that it's just that mom guilt. What did I do? Am I going to do it to this baby too and stuff? So that was actually one of the first questions I asked the oncologist when he said, it was Dr. Law. He's like, she has cancer. And I'm like, what did I do to like give her the cancer? You know, like what, what, how did I cause this? And he literally told me it was bad luck. Yeah. Same. I went through a litany. I pumped my own gas. I chewed sugarless gum. I had Coke, you know, like Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I lifted everything and I was trying to convince the doctors, like I gave my son cancer and they right. were like, no, you didn't. And I was right. like, yes, I, did. <laughs> I know. It's so, yeah. it's just the mom guilt. It's like, there's it no one else to blame but yourself. So you yeah. kind of like have to just like take it on and stuff. But I mean, having the new baby, having the baby on the way, like the whole family is just so over the moon. Like Paisley, you would look at her and you have no idea that she had any side effects. She has no side effects, but you would have no idea she had cancer a couple of years ago and stuff. Like she is thriving. She's so smart. She's excelling in school. She's just, she's loves being a big sister. She's just awesome. She's so, and like having the baby is just like, just like the next step, you know, that we would be, that we would be doing if she didn't have the cancer anyways and stuff. So it's just more normal living now that we're past that and stuff, which is nice. I mean, I definitely, it would be hard to have a baby in the middle of the treatment. That would definitely be difficult. If if you can do it all, that would be awesome. I'd be so happy for you, but it would definitely be difficult just with all the back and forth. Again, probably because I was a single mom doing it too, that I had to find babysitters for my son while I was there and everything, which was difficult. But I just like, obviously a new mom, you have to be with the baby all the time. So you'd have to bring the baby to the hospital and stuff, which would be different. We had friends uh, when we were there who had that. Yeah. And they were pregnant and gave birth. Right. Exactly. And Paisley made me sleep in the hospital bed with her the whole time that she was in the hospital every night, every time. So I'm like, I don't know if I could fit in there with a belly. (laughs) Totally. hundred percent, hundred percent. This has been so amazing. You know, I'm sure that you have waves of PTSD or waves of anxiety, like, you know, if, if I'm right, could you share one? And, and how do you handle that? Like, how do you manage, you know, he, the healing part of living through all of this? Of course. Yeah. So I would say more so like, I guess the bruises now, and I know now because I'm educated on it, which a lot of people aren't the normal bruises, the ones on the shin, the ones on your arms and stuff like that. The ones on your belly, not so much. The ones on your face, not so much or your thighs. So if I see like a weird bruise on her thigh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what is that? And stuff. Or like, recently she just started tripping out of nowhere like just falling on the ground and I'm like okay like is it because your legs are like messed up again like she goes in her bone marrow on her hips and stuff so that kind of things like trigger me into like thinking that like I'll text her um oncology nurse that I know like really well now and I'll be like oh my god like what is this and stuff and she's like she's fine she's like she's a seven-year-old playing soccer like she's gonna fall and stuff like that don't worry and everything definitely little triggering things like that how do I get over it just keep watching her, I guess, and make sure that it's nothing progressing, nothing that's like, make sure the bruise goes away. I mean, I remember when she was first got diagnosed, she had a bruise on her face that was there for weeks and it like would not go away. And I just thought the doctor, I took her to a walk-in before she was officially diagnosed and they said that she had a sinus infection. So I was like, oh, maybe her sinus infection is not letting her face heal because it's all like sick and stuff like that or whatever. So I like now I'm kind of like, okay, this bruise should be gone. You know, it should not be here and things like that. So just kind of using my own education from the whole entire treatment to really like give myself an extra boost. Like, no, she's fine. Like, it's just a little, it's a little bruise because she fell off of her bike or something like that. Yeah. But definitely so like a lot using, of people. So you're using a little bit of self-talk with a little bit of like present reality facts, right? Yeah. You, you're, you're testing the facts and then you're using that 
knowledge to calm you yourself down. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel like I've gained a lot of knowledge throughout all of the treatment. Like funny, cause like you have to be the best advocate for your own kid. So I will talk to any of the nurses. I'll question everybody before they do anything to her and stuff. I mean, we now have her listed as an allergy to propofol, one of the sedation medicines, because she would just wake up from it raging, like trying to rip out her lines and stuff like that. So I'm like, she shouldn't get this medicine. if like, this is how she's going to wake up to it. Yeah. So I like end up talking up to all the anesthesiologists and we're like, we came up with a better plan. She's on ketamine now, which is a lot better for her. She like wakes up a lot better from it. I remember one of the nurses was like, oh, like you are a great advocate for your daughter because if, if, if something's not working to how it should be working for her, you're not going to just like let them keep doing it just because they say it's a good medicine, just because they say it's good for her. You're going to like actually fight for her to make sure we get something better for her. And I did. And I did throughout the entire treatment and it worked out to her favor because now, I mean, come look at the end of it she's doing great so totally that's amazing I can feel your positivity and I can feel that you really did take a bad situation pretty much all around and didn't allow it to bring you down and for me that's that's something I I didn't do and I I hope that the listeners and the viewers really can feel your hope um and can feel your, your, your inspiration to live. And that's really what I'm getting from you. And I don't know if that resonates with you. Oh, 100%. Honestly, that's the best advice I could give is just continue to live, continue to keep doing what you were going to do every day anyways, just make it the best. Honestly, like after all that, it, it made us live more. It made us be like, all right, what can we do this random Tuesday that we have nothing else to do? I mean, I was home with the kids because obviously Paisley's treatment and stuff. I had worked full time up until Paisley got sick for their whole entire life. So I was like, I'm home. We are going to take full advantage. The first summer, she was diagnosed in October. So that first summer or June, um, when she turned four, we just went and did as much as we could. I mean, like, we're like, we're living our best lives. Like right now, we're like, we're doing whatever we can, soaking in every day, spending every waking moment together. I'm like, I never got to do that with you guys before. And it hits, it hits you when you're like, actually like, oh my God, imagine if we didn't get to, imagine if we didn't get to live, live the lives that we wanted to with our kids because we were too busy at work. And then all of a sudden she got sick and, you know, the worst case scenario happened or something. So yeah, that's amazing. So you guys heard it here first, (laughs) live through tragedy and you can persevere and there is hope for healing. Any last parting words that you have for our listeners? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And I hope that you guys are never in the situation. If you are, please live your best life and do what you can to get through it. You will get through it. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Kristen, oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations. I thank hope you. you have an amazing pregnancy. Congratulations on the baby. And thank you so much for everything. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, totally. Thanks for tuning in to Healing Conversations, a One Mission podcast. Remember, you're not alone in your healing journey. Many have come before you and many will come after. Everyone has a story. By sharing yours, you heal the world. We're so grateful to our guests for their vulnerability, honesty, and healing vibrations. Cancer can steal a kid's childhood. We help them get it back through programs and activities that foster friendship, fun, and positive distractions from treatment. Whether it's putting on holiday celebrations, providing art and music therapy, or paying for expensive hospital parking, one mission makes life brighter for children and their families from the moment of diagnosis through treatment and beyond. Follow us on Instagram at One Mission Official and on Facebook at One Mission. 
Join our mailing list at onemission.org to stay up to date on our news and events. This podcast is sponsored by Provident Healthcare Partners. If you would like to become a part of this podcast, email us at info at onemission.org. To keep this podcast going, please consider a donation to One Mission that will bring programs and services to kids fighting cancer. Text DONATE to 44321. To learn more about my healing journey with chronic pain, overworking, and collapse into migraines, read my book, The Unspoken, available on Amazon. Thanks to our producer, Michael Harmon. 